Uh, we've been graced with the Holy Spirit's presence already here this morning, and we continue our worship service with a dive into a very familiar story, okay? The, the story of the prodigal son um, uh, from the sacred scriptures in this Lenten journey, Blessed Hunger, Holy Feast. Blessed Hunger, Holy Feast. So I'll start with a question. Who here has run away from home? Who here has literally, at some point in their life, literally run away from home? Let's see, see those hands up. One, two, three, four. Okay, yes, yes. Okay, so you run away from home. Okay, we've actually done this before. Some of us, all right. Um, <laughs> so, so following through with this desire to leave, how did it go? How did that go for you? Okay. Um, I remember running away. Um, I was in a collection of a small neighborhood of like 20 houses, about a quarter mile off the, off the highway north of Sioux City, Iowa. I remember running away, going down the gravel road, the street, the gravel road, until literally I heard the dinner bell run, ring from the front porch, okay? <laughs> and by the time that I got back home to eat, by the time I got back home to eat because I was hungry, I almost always could not remember why I left in the first place, okay? Uh, or the reason, what's the reason that I was upset earlier in the day? So maybe the reason wasn't important. Maybe what was important is that I returned home to family for dinner. Maybe that was the biggest thing. So in today's story, this parable of the lost son, the story of the prodigal son, it's also true that we're not given a reason why he leaves for his departure. Perhaps by design, because in life there are many reasons, in fact, that result in time spent away from home, time spent away in a distant country, a distant land. So maybe the reason isn't all that important after all. So those familiar with the story, which is many of us, um, if you were to pull 10 people regarding what's the meaning of this story, well, you would probably get 20 answers, maybe 30 answers, because there are so many different layers and perspectives throughout the story, which, and, and which aspects of the story resonate with you at any particular moment in time depends on a number of things, okay? So one of the beautiful things about scripture is that when we read the story, or when I read this story uh, today, I, I tend to resonate with the older brother. When I read this story 20 years ago, I resonated with who? Well, the lost son. Now, as a father to three, maybe 20 years from now, I might resonate with the father in this story. So scripture is living and active, and the Holy Spirit always seeks to illuminate things for our sake and for the sake of others as, we're, as we continue to grow in Christ's likeness. So I do want to ask another question and kind of begin with this. So why? Why does Jesus share this particular story? Well, considering his audience in verses 1 through 3, we know that the Pharisees are upset. They are upset at Jesus because he, in fact, in fact, welcomes and eats with sinners and those who are lost. Now, we know that the Pharisees were grumbling, is a, is a word that they use in a diff different translation. They were grumbling. But these stories 
in the Common English Bible are subheaded, or there's a title of Occasions for Celebration. Occasions for Celebration. We have the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. All about rejoicing and finding what was lost. And this would be in contrast to the grumbling of the Pharisees, right? So we see this grumbling and this rejoicing. Perhaps another reason why this narrative, um, um, why this narrative is um, here is that it goes beyond even, I think, an intellectual understanding, an intellectual reality. So as we look at the text today, right, we know that there are many things to consider, many angles and perspectives, and we can think about this in our heads, right, right up top in our heads. The details that we can get wrapped up into, lots of knowledge. Uh, we can turn this story into a, just, just a theological story. You know, what's, what's the meaning um, uh, in our minds? How do we understand this in our minds? And, in, and if we do this, in so doing, uh, we might miss the emotion of the text, the emotion. For example, these phrases um, are just a list, you know, a severe famine, famine so that's a body thing, right? To begin to be in need, long to fill his stomach, came to his senses, okay? Starving to death, I'm no longer worthy, worthiness, feeling, or emotion here. Filled with compassion, threw his arms around him, kissed him, celebration, dancing, okay? This is not just a mind thing. This is not just a mind, uh, something to live in our heads, okay? So if you sense the emotion, you feel the emotion behind the text. So today, as we look at it again, uh, we invite this text to minister to not just our mind, but we invite this text to minister to our hearts and to our bodies as well. So today, because there are different ways to interpret and look at this, and if you uh, read the weekly front page, there's a, there's a whole different kind of way to think of the, the God figure being the prodigal actually, so I want to uh, read that, although not now, <laughs> all right, you read that later. So I want to focus the story from the father's perspective, primarily, although the son can, um, can tell us a lot too. So let's be open to the possibility that the story is more about the father than it is actually about the two sons. Maybe the story is about the love and grace of the father more than it's about the sin or the ways the two sons have gone and messed things up. Luke, after all, begins the story with, there was a man. So even right there, there was a man. Precedent, first mention, is the father figure. First person introduces the man because maybe this is what this, who, who this story is, is about. The sons are part of the story, yes, but they're part of the story in relation to their father, okay, in relationship to their father. The New English Translation subtitles the story, it's not a parable of the lost son, but it's a parable of the compassionate father. So with this, uh, this will be our focus, giving emphasis to God as the father figure, okay? After all, without the presence of a father, where are the sons leaving from? 
right? The father's got to be part of the story and maybe the focal point. So the sons are not the story. They are characters and they are recipients of the father's love. The recipient of the father's love. So as we go on our story here, so the, young, the younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate, which is a first century way of saying, Dad, our relationship is over. As Kelly said it, you are dead to me. And it's, I think it's here, not when the son finally leaves, but I think here is the moment of separation in this conversation, in this question. In this, in this uh, desire to leave. This is the real moment of separ- separation, not necessarily later. For the son, in asking his father, has brought about shame and dishonor to his father. He is not a desiring relationship anymore. And one thing I notice here is that at the son's request, the father does not ask any questions. The father doesn't ask any questions. I mean, would you ask a question or two? Where are you going? What will you do? Will you come back and visit over the holidays? I mean, I would have questions. Anyone else have questions? We also detect in the Father not even a hint of anger. Not a hint of disappointment or resistance. No resistance from the Father. So if I was a father and I would say, no, husband, you're grounded. You're not going anywhere until you rationally think about what you're asking, until you rationally think about what you're asking. I mean, that's my reaction. Anyone else? Whether he's seven or 18, I, you know, whatever. 30, you better get out. But um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nope, there's no conversation, just so he divided his property between us. There could be paragraphs of conversation, but not so with this story. So he divided his property between them. So this, for me, begs another question. How could the father let him go? How? I would have fought it. I would have reasoned with my son. I think the answer is simple. It's love. It's love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This love is patient. You know, even in that first request from the son, the younger son. The, the father's patient. So love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't make demands. Love doesn't seek to possess the other. Love doesn't try to control what the son does. Love also means that the father was willing to let go. The father was willing to let go. The father was willing to give the younger son freedom freedom. No resistance. Freedom. So as the story goes, not long after that, the son gathered all that he had and set off for a distant country. A distant country. 
and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Again, we're not given a reason for his departure. We don't know why he left. And maybe the reason is because there are many reasons for departure to a distant country, aren't there? When we end up in a distant land, we end up there through sorrow, grief, and loss. We can end up in a distant country through fear, shame, and embarrassment. We can end up in a distant land through addictions and lust and self-destructive behavior. We can end up in a distant country through pride, self-condemnation, self-hatred. We could end up in a distant country because of envy, loss, and maybe the younger son just didn't want to work as hard as the older son. All these paths can and often lead to a distant country. The truth is, is that we all, everybody say all, all end up there at some point or another, don't we? We all end up in a distant country, a distant land. And it's in this distant land that we experience loneliness, hurt, dryness, longing. But it's also in this distant land that we can maybe even experience a blessed hunger. So often in uh, a distant country, we, like the younger son, can begin to realize when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, this isn't who I am. This isn't my true self. We can begin to recognize our false self and our false self patterns, and we come to our senses. We become aware that this is not who I am to be. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I came to my senses, I put all those way, uh, the ways of childhood behind me. We all have our reasons for finding ourselves in a distant country, don't we? But really the, the central thing is the beauty is that no matter what, no matter how we got there, what we did while we were in a distant country, or how long we've spent in those places of desolation, we can always come home. We can always come home. So the story continues. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. I'm intrigued by this rehearsed speech that he has even before going home. Just intrigued by it. Is this repentance or is this not repentance? I'm not sure. 
This phrase the younger son uses, I have sinned against heaven and against you. This reminds me of an interaction from the Old Testament when Pharaoh's declaration to Moses, in order to get the plague and the sufferings to stop, he says what? I have sinned sinned against the Lord your God and against you. But we know that Pharaoh truly was not repentant. He simply wanted his suffering to stop. So the son here only expresses a fear of dying and a desire to be filled with food. I'm not sure if regret or is, is completely expressed. Just a thought. So whether that's true or not, I think the reality is, is the father's love for him. Another observation of this rehearsed speech. So how was it, how was it that this younger son, after squandering all the wealth away, in wild living, living in filth, hungry, tired, how can the younger son come to a place of actually being able to return home? Just imagine the the shame that he felt. How did he come to a place of being able to return home? Well, for the son, he began to to deny that he was actually his father's child. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So here we have the younger son in denial of his true identity. Have you ever been in this place? Denying your true identity, your true self. And now for one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture but while he was still it's a long way off but while he was still a long way off but while he was still a long way off but while he was still a long way off. But while he was still a long way off, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arm around him and kissed him. First off, the father runs. Old men running is a funny thing. But a grown man in the time of Jesus, well, if a grown man runs in the time of Jesus, this means leaving behind his dignity, his honor. And Peter Lockhart, who's a biblical commentator, says it this way. This may not seem like much to us, but a man who ran like this in Jesus' time would have been bringing shame on himself. It was below his station. And more than that, in the act of running, he would have exposed his legs in a way which would have been considered indecent. The father risked being shame on, uh, bringing shame on himself in order to greet the son. This is the depth of his love. 
He's willing to shame himself and expose his legs even before the son has offered any sort of confession. So the compassionate father threw his arms around him and kissed him and says, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. A couple of things. The ring thus symbolizing and granting authority and access to the rest of the possessions. The shoes, the return to status. Because a guest in a home would remove their shoes, but to have the shoes on, this means they're part of the family. The fatted calf is an invitation for the whole community to celebrate, estimating that it would feed around 100 people. So on Friday, uh, we had an opportunity to celebrate Miley's birthday, uh, which is tomorrow. I'm not joking. It's April 1st. So, um, so we ventured to see one of our favorite bands, Mumford & Sons, in Chicago. Here's a picture. Uh, okay. They have this song called um, Roll Away Your Stone, uh, which it likely has this prodigal son story in mind. substance of my soul and I have filled this void with things unreal and all the while my character is still feeling distant country long walk home but it's the welcome that I receive at the restart it's the welcome the welcome that the father gives generously the welcome that is filled with love and grace and compassion and mercy from the father it's the welcome It would be enough to just end here, the story. If we just, if, if the a story ended, it's a great parable. But the story continues. Because as far as stories go, um, if you were to name a climax of the story, this would be it, right? This would be the climax of the story. You know, while it's still a long way off, and it's, you, you, can be, you can hear the music come into the scene, right? And there's a sunset kind of behind them as, as the young uh, son and the father embrace and they come back together. You would think that this is the climax. 
However, in thinking back to the original audience of this, we have the Pharisees. Perhaps the restored relationship is only halfway through the movie. But there's more. There's the older son. Who represents those in the audience who have always done the right thing. Who, you know, as I asked that question earlier, who's run away from home? It'd be the people that did not raise their hand. It's the older son. They've always done the right thing. The ones who have been faithful, the ones who are slaves and servants for their father. So the story goes, the older brother, oh, hey, let's do it again. Uh, So the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes and uh, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Next slide. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I mean, there's a whole sermon right there. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. This older brother's disappointment, his anger, his jealousy, it's justified, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Any, no? Isn't, it's not justified? I think it is. I mean, like I would be a little upset, right? But I think he's mad and he's confused on who this party, this holy feast is for. And who this story is about. So the question, who's this banquet for? Who's the party for? Is it for the wayward son? Or if the central focus of the thing is the father, is the party for the father? Is the banquet primarily about the father's love? Is it about the father's love, about the father's grace, his mercy, his generosity, and his compassion? Let's celebrate. Because his father loves. Pharisees, like the older brother, who have done everything right, they've missed the point. So another question is, who's really the lost son? The younger son found in the story, no longer lost. But maybe the older son is lost. The older son, first and foremost, sees himself as what? He even says it, I've been slaving for you all these years. How does he view himself? As a hired hand in his father's house, he sees that rather than being a son. The older brother is, off, is, is then offended when he realizes the younger brother's place in the family. I like how Brian McLaren says it um, in one of his books. As we tell it, the story climaxes when the runaway boy comes home and feeling disgraced, hoping to re-enter the household as a what? As a slave. And the father graciously receives him as a son. But the real climax, I propose, comes later when the father slips out of the party to speak with who? The alienated, lost, older brother 
outside. I see that both brothers are suffering from an identity crisis. The older thinks he's a slave, but he's actually a son. And the younger is a son, but he wants to go back as a slave. Neither of the sons can grasp who they truly are. God's beloved child. And part of the family. So the older son now can discover that due to the reality of his father's love for the younger son, can now truly discover just how loved and how beloved he is. So the older brother alienated himself. And he can't even speak and say, my brother. He says, this son of yours. And we all do this, don't we? You know, that daughter of yours did in school. <laughs> you know, that son of yours in the grocery store was just throwing a fit. You know, we do this, right? We all do this. This son of yours, this daughter, right? We do this. But what we see the father do when he turns the phrase he referred to the younger brother as this brother of yours. When the father says this brother of yours, it serves as an invitation, an invitation for the older son to also be able to acknowledge his true identity. He is your brother because you are not my slave. You are also my son. It's an invitation for the older brother. Just even turning that phrase. Your brother, you're still, you're, you're in this family. You're not a slave. So we have here an invitation back home to his true self, his true identity as God's beloved. The older brother is found on the outside, in, on the outside of the party, because he finds himself there. He finds himself there because of his refusal to love. Because only love exists inside the tent. So in returning to 1 Corinthians 13 and this reality of love, what do we see the Father? The Father keeps no record of wrong. He keeps no record of wrong. It's not a list. No record. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes. That Father is just hoping that Son would come home. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. So this story has a progression, doesn't it? The story has a progression. It's a journey. Where are you in this season on this journey? Today, are you leaving home? The Father offers you freedom because you are loved. Are you in a distant country? The Father waits patiently because you are loved. Are you in the act of coming home? The Father will provide and protect 
because you are loved. Have you returned home? The Father's prepared a banquet, a holy feast, because you are loved. The older son, you're also invited to return to your true self, because you are loved. God is faithful. God is more generous than we know with his love. And we're invited to trust that love today in a new way, in a fresh way. So one more look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love, for now we see only a reflection of his mirror. (laughs) Then we shall see face to face. The embrace of the Father and the Son. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know. The younger son fully knows when he returns home. That he is fully known. 